Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. It is just a great day. I don't know, yesterday it was raining all day. Anybody notice that? It rained all day yesterday. It was just gloomy, you know. I have a little two-and-a-half-year-old that was here at our house, and she, she said, it's gloomy. I don't know where two-and-a-half-year-olds learn words like that, but she said, it's gloomy, Grandpa or Papa, you know, and I'm like, yeah, it is. But then about, I don't know what time that was, but all of a sudden, while it was still daylight, that just cleared up. And I don't know if you noticed this incredible rainbow. They came out. You know, it's just like the promise of God is real. And it was like, hey, it's Easter. And God just showed off. And man, that beautiful rainbow and the sun came out. And I got up this morning. I said, you know, Lord, this is going to be a very special day. It's just going to be a very special day. And I really believe that's true. And I, I'm just excited to be here this morning. I'm excited about what he wants to say in the music this morning. I think I sang as much as you, Nathan. Now I got to try to talk. And I'm, I'm getting a little hoarse here. So um, anyway, it's just an awesome, awesome day. And, and my prayer right now for us is, is that, that our hearts will be ready to hear exactly what God has for us. You know, I, I feel like God started giving me this message many, many months ago, really. And, and it's just been speaking to my heart. And I really am excited to share this with you today. Uh, really excited. And, and it's really, it's called Why I Believe in Jesus. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. Let me pray and then we'll read some scripture and get started. Father, right now, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for your presence in our midst. I thank you, Lord, that that no matter what happens in our lives, you're always right there with us. And Lord, I have seen that played out in my life this week. You have come in a very special way. Though I do not deserve it and though I am nothing but a mess, you, Lord, came and you spoke into my heart this week and reminded me that I am really your son and that you care about me and that you are never going to leave and you will not let us down. And all those songs we sang are true. And Lord, I just can't help but give you praise this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do. I pray your word will come alive this morning. Teach us from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. By the way, if you are here and this is your first time here, we want to welcome you. We also want to ask you on the way out, there's a table back there and and, uh, Donna is going to be back there. And we have a gift for you, so make sure that you grab those on the way out. We want to make sure you get that and uh, just feel our appreciation. Thank you for coming today. John 20, verse uh, 1. It should be up on the board in a minute here. There it is. So let me read this for you. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple The one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. I think that's interesting. They must have been young guys bragging about who was running. It's like Tim Kennedy always telling everybody he can beat anybody back in the day. And it's just the way it is. So John and Tim must have something in common. Um, Both were running. The other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there. But did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. And the cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. And he saw and he believed 
They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, and one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And I hope that that speaks to your heart today. And I want to just talk from that a little bit. I want to move on down actually from there just a little bit and read a few more scriptures. I'm not sure they have the rest of that. Um, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. And on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I love that. They were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Have you ever had an expectation that was not fulfilled in your life? Something that you dreamed about, something you believed was going to happen, something that you were sure was going to happen, and it was unfulfilled. I was riding about, eight, about 10 years ago, I rode out to California on my motorcycle. I, I like to ride, and I was riding out there, and, and we were riding through the desert. We were in Arizona, and I had made plans. We had a list of things, and I was so excited. I'd heard about all these places all my life, and I was excited because I was going to finally get to see them. And one of them was the Painted Desert. Anybody ever been there, Painted Desert? I'd never been there, and I thought, man, that sounds so cool. I got to see that. And so we're riding. Well, my brother-in-law, the day before he was riding with me, <laughs> okay, I didn't say that part. Yeah, my brother-in-law was riding with me. He's a great guy. He, he, he goofed off that morning in the hotel. I couldn't get him to leave. He just sat around and goofed off and played around. And we finally get started. It's late in the day. We're just not getting anywhere fast. And finally, we get to where the painted desert is and it's closed. It's too late to go in there into the park. I was really disappointed. I remember I sat there and I told him, I said, you're such a goof off. That's why we're not here. We didn't get here in time. And I kind of got all over his case, you know, and, and it was kind of like the only time in the whole trip where we really didn't get along. But I, I was upset. I was disappointed. It was something I wanted to see and I wasn't going to get to come back here soon. And so it was really hard. But that disappointment's nothing compared to some that you guys have faced. I know a divorce. Divorce is one of those things that, man, what a disappointment. What a brokenness there is in that. Or, or maybe it's something else, a loss of a job. Many of you, I've been around you when, when you've lost jobs and when things have gone a different direction for you. And it's hard. Disappointments are always hard. And the one I shared is nothing. While Jesus was on earth, he invited many people to follow him. Come follow me, he said to many. And, and the thing is, many did. Many people just laid down everything and came and followed him. Uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John were fishermen. Not, not the kind you know, where you go out and, and you throw a, a line into the water and reel in a fish. They, they owned boats and nets, and they would go out into the, the deep, and they would, uh, they would drop their nets, and they would fish, and they were commercial fishermen. They'd bring in the catch and, and clean it and sell it. I mean, it's how they made a living for themselves and for their families. And they had laid that down. They had said, okay, we'll put it aside. And they did. They set it aside so that they could follow Jesus. Matthew was a tax collector. 
You know, uh, he's our favorite guy in the whole Bible, right? You know, tax collectors, we all love paying taxes. But he had a lucrative business collecting taxes, and he put it aside to follow Jesus. Many of them left homes in the comfort of what they knew to follow this traveling rabbi. And the reason that they had left homes and the reason they had put everything aside was because of all the miracles, because of all the power, this unusual power that Jesus manifests where he did these miracles and things began to happen and they were saying, something's going on here. See, they were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a Christ. They were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a Savior. They were looking for someone who could save them. They, not in the sense that we think of salvation where we are forgiven of our sins, but they were looking for someone who could save Israel. Israel was in a mess. They were politically oppressed at the time. They were living in the time of a Roman occupation. And, and they chafed underneath that Roman occupation. It was very difficult for them. Uh, high taxation, forced to do things they didn't think were fair. It, they were unjustifiably brutal to people. So Israel was looking for this Messiah. This Messiah had been promised in all the prophets and, and they had been promised the Savior and they believed he would come and they believed that he would supernaturally drive Rome out of Israel and would set up the kingdom of David again in Israel. So when these disciples left the comfort and the normalcy of their, uh, of their lives, they didn't do it just because they thought Jesus was special that way. They, they thought he was a political answer. And they came with the idea of a reward. If I do this now, I'll be part of the kingdom when he sets up his kingdom. When he sets up as king, I'll be there. And I'll be on the inside track. The disciples clearly believed Jesus was going to be the answer, the political answer for driving out Rome. In reality, the twelve and all the others had little idea or understanding of who or what Jesus was about at all. Even Jesus' teachings, which he did with them, and if you read through the Gospels, and there's four Gospels, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Bible in your New Testament, the first four books, those four Gospels tell us about Jesus and the stories and the teaching of Jesus, and, and they, they really didn't understand those at the time. It didn't make sense to them. They eluded them. For sure, they did not follow Jesus because he was a great teacher. A lot of people say that today. Oh, he was a great teacher. Not for them. They didn't understand at all. The teachings of Jesus in retrospect are truly revolutionary. They truly do speak deeply into our hearts and they change our minds about things. But, but to the disciples, they were just confusing at best. The disciples were simply there because they believed that Jesus was the political savior and they wanted to be a part. And that's why James and John's mother one time comes to Jesus and they said, and she said to them, she said, Jesus, I want my son James and John to sit at your right and left hand side when you come into your kingdom. She had no clue. She just knew, hey, power, I want some of it. Affluence, I want some of that. So when things went down, when Jesus was arrested, betrayed and arrested, the disciples were most likely something like this. All right. It's finally going to happen. We're going to see this take place. Jesus is going to finally do what Jesus came here to do. Jesus will be forced to fight back. When they arrest him, he'll fight back. When they try to do anything to him, he'll overthrow Rome. And that's what they thought was going to happen. But instead, Jesus had gone meekly, mildly, and quietly to the cross and to death. He was flogged. He was humiliated. If you read the story, it says he was punched. One of the worst things that anybody can do to you, they spit in his face. Anybody ever had anybody do that? It's horrible. Spit in his face. And they finally crucified him. They laid him on a cross and drove nails into his hands and into his feet. 
And he never once said even a word to defend himself. Not one word was ever said to defend himself. He just took it. They all waited on the angel armies to show up. They knew that he had the power to command that, but it didn't happen. They waited on the miracles as they had seen them while he was on earth, and it didn't happen. They had expected Jesus to destroy Rome, but he didn't. He just died. That's all he did. He just died. And that day, their expectations died with him. That was the end for them. When, the, when Jesus was crucified, the disciples scattered. They, they got up and they left. They didn't hang around and wait. They just took off. I don't know, maybe they had a signal among them and they said, when this starts to go down, when everything gets ready to happen, we'll send out a signal and everybody can come running back, but we're going to scatter until that happens. But that signal never came. In fact, the message that arrived to them said something like this. The soldiers of Rome had stepped up when Jesus was hanging there on the cross and to make sure he was dead, they'd taken a spear and they shoved it into his side and up through his heart and into his lungs to make sure he was dead. And oh, Jesus was dead. He's really dead, fully dead. Finally, the crucifixion was over and everybody wanted it to be done. It's a gross spectacle. You can only imagine how horrifying that is. And it was time to move on. It was Passover. The Jews wanted to have their Passover celebration. So everyone left the scene. They took off. They fled. They went home to prepare for the big celebration. And they went home to put all this behind them. And Jesus was left alone, hanging on a Roman cross, nailed to a Roman cross, naked, broken, bloody, and dead in humiliation between two thieves. And that's where it was left. And that's where everybody expected the story to end. And that's by all rights where it should have ended. Two Jews came along and they asked that the body, or the Jews came along and they asked that the bodies be removed. They, they didn't want them hanging there during their Passover celebration. That would have been a, uncouth for them. And they, they asked the Roman government, please take them down. And so they obliged them and they were going to take them down. When they did, two men showed up, a man named Joseph of Arimathea and a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus and Joseph had both met with Jesus while he was alive. Uh, they came and they asked if they could have his body so they could bury him. I think both of these guys, as we know, they're part of the Jewish ruling body, part of the Sanhedrin, and I think both these guys had met Jesus and had come to know Jesus, and both of them were feeling some guilt. You ever have guilt over something you know you should have done and didn't do, and you're feeling bad? You really didn't participate in it, but you didn't stop it either. And that's where they were at. They were just sitting there going, I didn't stop what I should have. I should have done that, but I didn't. And so they came and they took the body because they were secret disciples of Jesus. They'd had encounters with Jesus. This poor rabbi Jesus in their mind did not deserve to have this happen. This wasn't something that should have taken place. So they wanted to bury Jesus and give him a proper burial and ease their conscience. So Joseph and Nicodemus took Jesus down and they carried him to a garden tomb owned by Joseph. And it was a stone cave. He had cut it into the side of a, of a stone mountain wall. And they took him there and they took 75 pounds of, of spices, aloe and myrrh that they had, and, and they put it on his body, and then they took linen cloth and they wrapped his body up completely. And then they carried him carefully in and laid him down in this tomb. And then they rolled a stone across the front to keep wild animals out and to keep anyone from coming in and defacing and stealing the body. And they left Jesus there to decompose. 
because that's their custom. He would lay there until his body had fully decomposed, and then they would go back at a later date, and they would collect the bones, and they would take the bones, and they would be buried in a proper way, and that would be the end. And Jesus would not be anything more than a footnote in history. And that's all we would have ever heard of. In practice, you know, in all reality, let's face it, we wouldn't know who he is at all. That would just have been a, a hiccup in history. And it was done. And Joseph and Nicodemus went home to their families, their good Jewish families that were preparing, preparing the Passover. And the 11 disciples went back to their homes to mourn, to figure out, to think about the disappointment. And Judas went out and hung himself. And Jesus' mother and his brothers and his sisters wept for him. When, G when Joseph and Nicodemus laid Jesus into the tomb, there were no Christians. Okay? Get this in your mind. Think with me here. There were no Christians. No one believed in Jesus anymore. Everyone who had believed felt totally ridiculous. They were all disappointed. Matthew sat there by himself wondering why he had given up such a great business. I could be out making money right now. Instead, I feel like a fool. Peter, Andrew, James, and John looked at themselves and said, man, I wonder if we can still get back into fishing. All the hotel rooms and rooms for rent in Jerusalem were filled to the brim with Passover pilgrims, devoted Jews, placed the blood over the door that day and down the side posts in remembrance of the Passover, copies of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant Law, our Old Testament, were tucked away safely and securely in the temple, far, far away from any people who might want to understand. Tiberius Caesar, Caesar of Rome at that point, had, I had no idea what had just taken place. He was busy in Rome making a name for himself. Rome was in full power. It was the eternal city. And it was in full power. And everything was as it had been and as it would always be at that moment and for three days. And I want you to think about that. For three days, nothing changed. Jesus was dead, and it looked like everything was finished. But then something happened. And I want to tell you something about that. See, this lady named Mary Magdalene, who Jesus had touched and had met her needs in so many ways, got up early on a Sunday morning, and in her grief, she went out to the grave where Jesus was laid. She took with her more spices, more of the embalming spices, to make sure that the men had done a proper job with what they had done, because you always have to check up on the men to make sure they did it right. Mary knew what dead was. She did not go expecting, oh, there's going to be a resurrected Jesus. She had no idea, no thought of resurrection in her mind that day. She took embalming supplies. You don't embalm live bodies. You embalm dead ones. When she got there, the stone cover was moved away. She went inside the tomb, afraid of what she might find. Had someone defaced his grave? Had someone messed with the body? Had someone stolen the body? Resurrection was not on her mind or anyone else's mind. No one stood out the tomb that day and counted down backwards, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Come on, Jesus. Boom. He's out. They didn't do that. Nobody expected that. She had gone there to embalm. 
No one planned on keeping the movement going. He was dead. Everything he'd said wasn't true. They were giving up. The plan had failed. Dead bodies always stay dead. So when Mary looked into the tomb, she did not think resurrection. She saw the empty tomb and thought what you might have thought. Someone took him or they've moved his body. And that's all she thought. And so she quickly turned around, retraced her steps, got back to where she'd come from, went to tell Peter and John and some others, hey, listen, I went out to see the tomb. The stone's moved. They've moved him. He's gone. He's not there anymore. The tomb is empty. It was like, hey, Jesus died. They've dug him up and moved his body. Where do you think he might be? And they ran to see and look at the empty grave. They didn't really believe that she had seen what she saw. And so when they got there, they looked in and it says then they actually believed. Oh, His body is not there. But they're not thinking resurrection. Disciples went back to wherever they were at, at the upper room or wherever they were staying, and Mary set out to find where they'd put Jesus' body. And again, she's not looking for Jesus. She's looking for his body. Because she knows Jesus is dead. She saw the cross. She saw the spear. She saw what took place. She knew he was dead. Finally, she sees a man she thinks is the gardener She stops him. She asks, where did they put his body? If you'll tell me, I'll go get it. I want to give him a proper burial. I want to take care of him. And as she speaks the words, the man speaks back to her. And he calls her by name and he says, Mary. And in an instant, everything in this whole world changed in that one word. When Jesus spoke her name. 2,000 years later, the voice of the one she thought was dead that she thought was the gardener, rings through time. Mary's heart's racing, her head's spinning. This just couldn't be, and the voice was unmistakable, and she cries out, Teacher, it was Jesus. He was not dead. He was not dead. Now, some of you are sitting there going, that's a nice story. I'm going to tell you, I believe this story. He was not dead. He's alive. See, Mary's encounter with the resurrected Christ in the garden that day changed the whole world because he who was crucified and died was no longer dead. He was alive. Dead people don't come back to life. There's just no way for us to comprehend what Mary felt that day. Her whole life had been about Jesus and doing what he wanted and following him, and then he died, and she thought, man, I had made a mistake. She still loved him. She cared about him, but she's like, man, my life's over. And she was not expecting anything, and boom, he's alive. There's no way for me to understand what she felt. The Bible says Mary ran back to the upper room, or back to the disciples. Her heart's racing, her pulse is pounding, her mind is swirling. And when she reaches the upper room, she does something that's so cool. you got to hear this if you don't hear anything else. She preached the first Easter message. Everybody thinks it was some men who preached the first Easter message. Huh? It was a great lady named Mary Magdalene. She preached the first Easter message. And no one's ever preached one like it since. And no one's ever been able to top it. And I'm going to preach it to you right now. I'm going to give it to you. Still the best. Here it is. She said this to him. I have seen. I have witnessed this myself. I have talked to Jesus. He's not dead. He's alive. Ain't that awesome? That is the best sermon in the whole world. What a sermon. Later on that evening, Jesus appears to the eleven as well. The eleven re-believe what was once now over has been brought back to life 
The movement that started that day, was born that day, will never be stopped. It's resurrection stuff. The one who gives life cannot be conquered by death. It's resurrection stuff. Paul wrote it so well, so well when he said, death, where's your sting? He's taunting Satan when he says that. I don't know if you get that or not. When we read that at a funeral, we're looking at Satan and going, hey, check this out. We don't stay dead. This is awesome. Make no mistake about it. Death is a cruel joke. It's horrible. I've been here. I've stood at the front of this sanctuary with many of you while you cried over loved ones and we, we, we looked into the casket at a lifeless body and our hearts are broken because they're gone and we know that that, that is so hard to let go of. And, and we've been out at the graveside together, many of us, when we put our loved one in the grave, people that I love, people that you love even more. It's a cruel joke. And Satan, he loves to use that that graveside moment he loves to use that casket moment to remind us that one day you will die and i will win he says but i want to tell you something this morning this is what i want you to hear i can confidently tell you that satan is a big fat liar because death has been defeated the grave was overcome and i will live forever and some of you are going he's going to live forever oh man that's too bad and some of you are happy about that and i'm happy about that i get to live forever jesus overcame death in the grave satan thought he had won but three days later as he stood there thumping his chest and strutting around jesus came out of the tomb looked him in the eye and said it's over i win and you're done so god allowed his son and this just tears my heart out. God allowed His Son, the Savior, the Messiah of the world, the one who spoke and it all came to be, to be arrested by the creation, to be tried by the creation, to be humiliated by the creation, and to be executed by a pagan Rome. He put Jesus to death. He allowed Jesus to be put to death on a public display for the world to see. Why? That's the question I ask about that. Why would he do that? Why would he do that to his son? Why would he allow this to happen? Why would God allow this if he's a loving and good God? And the answer is simple. And it came to me. And here it is. And I want you to hear me. He allowed this. He caused this. He did this. He allowed this to happen to show us all the extent and the lengths that he would go to in order to save us because he loves you so much. You can't believe how much he loves you. You just can't. See, here's the deal. Heaven was empty. I had this great heaven already for us and it was empty. There was no one there. He said, well, you aren't going to have this. You can't go like this. Jesus told the story. Those who were invited and didn't come, go out and find more. Others that maybe weren't invited before. See, God wants heaven full. God's not looking around saying, how can I keep you out? Let me see what I can do to keep you out. It's not how it works. God wants heaven full. There's a song we sing that says, you know, he didn't want heaven without us. So he came. He left heaven. He set heaven aside because he loves you so much. Because right now, you matter to him so much. I look in the mirror at times and I go, man, I don't matter much. And the in the scope of the world, nobody knows my name. 
you know, there's a few people in Muncie that know my name, a few people around our, 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 our district for our church that know my name, and, you know, my, uh, a few people over in Anderson that still remember and, and shudder. And, and, you know, there's a few people that know my name, but not too many. But God knows my name. And God said, I would leave heaven for you. You're the one sheep, I'll come looking for you. I'll leave the 99. I will chase you to the ends of the earth. I will keep chasing you. I'm going to tell you something right now. I don't care where you're at, okay? I don't care where you're at. You know, in my own life right now, I'm going through some things where God is showing me and revealing to me some things in my own life, things that I've been trying to bury for a long time, and I've been taking care of that. I'm opening up and saying, okay, this is the, you know, okay, yeah. You know, and I feel really like God should just said, you know, you had your chance but you, you messed it up. You're not good enough for me. That's how I feel like he should say to me. Instead, he is saying to me, man, I would chase you to the ends of the earth, son. I would do whatever it takes. I will find you. I will hunt you down. You can't get away from me, man. It's like the hounds of hell, man. I'm after you, and I am not giving up until you say yes to me. And he is chasing me, and he's chasing you because he wants us in heaven with him. He has a special place in his heart for each one of us. Darcy always calls it that, that you know, Darcy-sized void that's in God's heart. You know, there's not just a Darcy-sized one. There's every one of you-sized void in God's heart. Unless you feel that, it's going to stay empty and he's going to hurt over you. Because God loves you that much. The title of my message is Why I Believe in Jesus. I'm going to give you a couple thoughts. First, it's the fact of the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection. I, 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 I just believe. And here's why I believe that. Because all the eyewitnesses who saw Jesus and touched Jesus after his death, I believe it today because of them. There's over 500 people that the Bible mentions who, who uh, saw Jesus after his resurrection. And secondly, it's the encounter with Jesus personally that I've had that causes me to believe. There's a little tune that says this, Jesus loves me, this I know. I asked my little granddaughter, I was playing with her yesterday, she came to see me and, and I was wrestling around on the floor, she's two and a half, and I said, Ellie, I said, what's your favorite song? And she said, Jesus loves me. And I love that song, it's a great song, Darcy always sings that with her and it's a neat song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And it, and it is, it's a great song and I love it, but I'm, and, and I'm glad we have the Bible, and that is the story of the resurrection. But here's the deal. I wished it said, Jesus loves me, this I know, because he died and was resurrected and showed himself to us, because that's why I believe. For 300 years after the resurrection, long before the New Testament Bible was ever compiled and available to us as people, people believed in Jesus because of the testimony of the disciples and nearly 500 witnesses who saw, ate, and walked with a resurrected Jesus. I love Chuck Colson's way of saying it back in the day. He said, you know, I believe because 12 men supposedly created a conspiracy and all of them died for their faith, saying, no, it's true. 12 other men in Watergate said, oh, let's make a conspiracy, and they couldn't keep it for like a week because men will protect their hind in before they'll die if it's not true. But if it's true, they'll go to their death for it. And it's true. So I believe the resurrection. And I'm thankful the Bible tells us the story of what happened. I thank God for that. The second one, though, is this. I've had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. You say, you've actually met him. Well, not physically. He's not shook my hand or, 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 or any of that yet. But I've had an encounter with him. I've seen him face to face in my heart. He's spoken to my life. Not only through 
His Word, but through so many other places. Even this week, while I was struggling over some issues and some things, I was in the Word, and and as I was in the Word, He spoke as though He were standing beside me and said words to me. I have met Him. I know Him. I have experienced Him. He has forgiven me of my sin. He has washed my heart clean inside. And that's why I believe in Him today. I've had an encounter with Jesus back here, right here, and even this week and even today. And I want to tell you something that I really believe. I believe that an encounter with Jesus is still possible for all of you. I don't think he has quit meeting with people. And I don't think heaven's full. I don't think it's so full he's saying, well, no more room. You guys, you're just out of luck. Too bad. I think he's looking and saying, there's plenty more room and I want you all to be with me. The Bible says the wage of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through or because of Christ Jesus. It's yours. Every one of your sins, everything that you've ever done, everything you ever will do has already been forgiven. It's been washed clean. It's all done. You have one thing that he's asking out of you. Believe on him. Trust him. Believe him. Trust him. Believe him. Trust him. That's it. You know, this morning, breakfast was free. If you missed it, Sucks to be you, I guess, you know, it was free breakfast, you know, too bad. You know, it's over now, but, but it was free. And I had people come up to me and say, well, where do we put our money? <laughs> I said, well, it's free. Yeah, I know, but where do we put our money? Well, it, it's free. The church bought it. Well, you bought it. You pay tithe here. You bought it. But anyway, you know, it, it's free. You don't have to pay for it. And, th- and that's exactly what Jesus is saying to us. See, most of us are walking around going, well, I've got to act a certain way, and I've got to be a certain way, and I've got to do this. It's free, guys. It's free. All he wants from you is for you to believe in him and trust in him and say, I believe in you, I'm trusting you, and begin to seek him and to live with him and be in relationship with him. That's all he's asking for. He's not asking for anything else, period. So have you heard him call your name? Have you encountered the resurrected Jesus like Mary did that day? Oh, you know, sometimes we miss out on it because we hear it and we go, oh, he looks like the gardener to me. But then he says our name. Something about that, isn't it? I was at uh, Indianapolis 500 track the, uh, back a few years ago. I was with a friend, a couple of friends. We were standing there, and there's people everywhere. It was time trials, you know, and there's people everywhere, and I'm walking around, and I'm kind of cutting down, and I heard somebody yelling, but I didn't pay attention at first. And all of a sudden, I realized they were yelling, Mark. Now, you know, what's the chances in a crowd of thousands that there's about, what, 900 Marks? You know, I mean, there's people everywhere named Mark. And so I, I just turned and I casually looked and it just kept yelling, Mark, Mark. Finally, I stopped and I looked and there's Kayline Shouts, who is a, 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 video, a photographer. A, 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 he, he does video for, at that time, the IRL and, and uh, you know, he does, he's just a, a great guy. And he, he was yelling at me. He was, hey, Mark, you know, and I, oh, it's for me. You know, he said my name. I, I, you know, there was this connection. That's what Jesus is doing. You're sitting in a crowd and you think he's yelling somebody else's name, but it's not. He's yelling your name. He wants you personally. He knows you and he says, man, I cannot have heaven without you. And I got to tell you something. When you say yes to that, it will change you forever in ways that you can't believe. Your life will take on new meaning. You know, a lot of us are sitting here spending all of our energy trying to control everything and make it come out like we want it to be. And, And when we do that, We're wasting our time because we can't control it. 
But when we say yes and let go and God begins to work in our lives, it changes everything. Relationships take on new meaning. Our purpose on earth takes on new meaning. Our ideas change. Our hearts change. The love that we had for others intensifies. We find ourselves realizing that it's not about me after all. And it doesn't matter how I am. It's all about Him. And it's all about what He wants. And today that's available to you. It really is. I'm going to invite you to stand up. The band's going to play. We're going to sing together and worship one more time. But I believe God has already spoken to some hearts, and some of you are already saying, man, I want that. Can I tell you something right now? There's a couple things that I want you to do. One is, you can stand right there where you're at and just say, I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Some of you may want to pray. The altars in the Nazarene church are always open for prayer, and you're welcome to come and to pray and to say yes to him here. And I will come personally, and I'll stay up here and pray with you as long as we need to. But I believe God is speaking to some hearts this morning. And if he's speaking to you right now, would you right there where you're at, if nothing else, right there where you're at, say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. If you want to let me know, take cards that are in the pew. I don't care what color. And just write on there, you know, I met with the Lord today. And put your name on there and I'll, I'll contact you. I'll make sure that I get in touch with you and we can talk. But I believe God's speaking to some hearts. He wants to meet with you. He loves you. He wants you in his heaven. He wants you. He wants you. Father, right now, I praise you for that. I thank you for that hope that I have today because of you. Lord, I realize that I have nothing, that I have been living my life trying to make my own self grand at times, and I'm trying to run things my own self, Lord, and you have been speaking to me, and I'm so thankful for that. And Lord, I'm glad that when I fall short and mess up something, Lord, you don't run me off and tell me to go away. You're not good enough anymore, Lord. You just put your arm around me and say, son, and you pull me close and you hug me and you tell me that you gave your life for me and you celebrate that the one is home. What a joy, what a privilege. Lord, would you speak to hearts? Would you give them courage to say yes to you today? Because I really believe today, Lord, this is the beginning of something you're wanting to do and you want to put your stamp of approval on every person here. You love them. Lord, would you remind them how much you love them right now? Would you just move? Would your Holy Spirit just move today and say, I love you to each person here until our hearts are just filled? And Lord, we just want to give you praise again for what you're doing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's worship together.